you look so healthy. Every time I see you, I'm like, Thanks, and you're man. drinking like juices and you, you look like you work out. Oh. Whoa. Let's not kill our guest. That's not, that wasn't supposed to happen. <laughs> what if this is like a, like a Nathan Fielder, like, like reality show and you think you're in for a podcast, but really it's like the worst night of your life. Now we're just, we got to get out of this room. <laughs> the gas is leaking. The door is locked. It's like the, the Star Wars, like trash compact. Yeah. Like Quick, Where's one of the these bolt? is a switch. You can escape. Her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God. We should actually do this. Hey, welcome to the fucking metaverse. My name is Wiley Arano. Some people call me Gordon Goner on the internet. I'm here with. I'm Greg Solano. Um, some people call me Garga. I'm Karem Adelaide, also known as Emperor Tomato Ketchup, just tomato. And uh, we're very pleased to welcome our guest today, Jimmy.eth, the king of NFTs. Uh, is that is that appropriate? Is that fair? Uh, I don't know. Maybe Guy might be a little upset about that one. I think we share that title. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. That's true. Welcome, man. You. Thank you for hey, coming. Thanks, guys. I'm super stoked to be here. I look. I we have been a fan of yours for a very long time. Um, you were one of the first people we knew of in the NFT space. Um, but I think it's really important we start at the very beginning. Um, how did this all start for you? Uh, it is uh, a funny story because I in. 2017, I uh, didn't know what I was going to do with my life. And I was kind of at an inflection point um, where I needed some sort of external uh, trigger to inspire me as to what was to come next. I couldn't find it um, at home. And I had been there for a couple of years trying to figure out what my next move in, in business was going to be. I'd previously started a business around Google Enterprise products, and I had sold that in 2013 and uh, hadn't done anything since. So I had always wanted to hike the Appalachian Trail, and I was sitting there in February uh, 2017, and then I realized I don't have a job, and I have the means to go do this. Uh, I got a friend to take me to the trailhead. He actually ended up joining me for the first 30 miles, which was incredible, someone I hadn't seen since I was a kid. And, uh, um, you know, I started hiking. It took us three days to go to the first 30 miles. Um, and then over the course of the next couple of months, I managed to hike 750 miles. Um, around mile 700, I met a guy and he was walking next to me, uh, on the trail and he says, um, something to the effect of like, I'm making money while I'm doing this. And I said, how are you doing that? And he said, I'm mining Bitcoin. And he pulls out his phone and he shows me his phone and he's got his server set up and everything. And, uh, I asked him how much Bitcoin was worth because I was aware of Bitcoin all along. I was, you know, in Silicon Valley um, I remember when Ethereum launched, uh, I had an opportunity to get into the ICO and I bought Legos instead. And, um, I, when Mt. Gox got hacked, it was like $400 or something for Bitcoin. And I was like, okay, well, it's going to go down to nothing from here. That guy that day told me that Bitcoin was worth $4,000. And I was like, holy shit, this is it. This is, I can't believe it was right in front of my face and I had to come out here to find it. So I didn't last much longer. I mean, I had ambitions to finish the trail, but I had hiked up to Virginia and I'm from Virginia originally and I had friends and I was stopping to see people along the way and I kind of just lost the drive. And so I got off the trail and um, a couple months later, I built uh, my first Ethereum mining rig. It was actually just before Thanksgiving um, in 2017. And then, you know, I think it was December 5th, I bought my first CryptoKitty, December 5th, 2017. And uh, from there, 
every single day I've thought about NFTs. I don't really have a choice. It's just what my brain goes to every day. I didn't understand them at first. Like I, it's funny, like so many things I've done in this space, like kind of like set their roots into my mind in that year in 2017, because when I bought CryptoKitties, the pitch was something like cats on the blockchain. Yep. And I took the on part very literally. And I thought they were stored on the blockchain, like their images and metadata. Mm -hmm. And I did for a couple months. I thought that was the case. And I spent like probably $15,000 on CryptoKitties by February or so. And I finally looked at the contract and started to understand how to read like smart contracts and look at Etherscan. And uh, I realized they weren't stored on the blockchain. And so right. that was an upsetting moment for me because so often in life, our imagination doesn't meet our reality, reality of, this, of, the, of the situation, whatever it is. In this case, the cat's images were not stored on the blockchain. I couldn't pass them down to my ancestors 100 years later and mm. have them know exactly what I collected. And uh, I, I started to talk about that in the CryptoKitties Discord, which was like the place to be in 2018. Like that's where all of the NFT community basically lived. Yeah, um, It was mostly CryptoKitties at that point. And uh, I started a debate with people about whether or not things should be on chain. And the prevailing belief at that time was no, um, you shouldn't put any additional information on the chain because that's just going to bloat the chain. And you don't want to do that. You don't need to do that. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I debated again for like another year, 2018. I just kept collecting CryptoKitties, debated on that for a long time. And then... Um, in 2019, um, my my ideas were more fully formed. I had some ideas about how to do it. I'd come across some projects that had done some things that could translate to going on chain, but hadn't. And then um, in 2019, Larva Labs launched Autoglyphs, and that was it for me. When I saw that they did that, I was like, oh, the, the biggest company, the biggest brand in the space, the most respected brand in the space, Larva Labs is like the OG of OGs. I hate to use that term, but they really were. They were like the guys who put NFTs on the map. And then CryptoKitties kind of took the torch for a while, too. Mm -hmm. um, when they did it, I was like, OK, this matters. Like, it's not just me being crazy. Like, someone else thinks this kind of has some importance. So, um, yeah, I, uh, I sold my house and got a loan from my mom and started building Avastars. Um, and that took about a year to to get done. But, you know, if I hadn't, like, got bent on the trail and misunderstood and found out about Bitcoin and then misunderstood what CryptoKitties were, um, you know, I would have never created Avastars. Um, and then uh, maybe we wouldn't have evolved to where we are today. How did you settle on Ethereum over Bitcoin? Because I was a gamer and I had previously built my own gaming rig. And I was like, well, if I could figure out how to do this with one video card, it's just a couple extra cords to do six. Gotcha. I just found it to be way more interesting to build my own thing and set up my own server farm. Um, even though I wasn't like super technically inclined, I mean, mm -hmm. I can build my own gaming computer. That's about the extent of it. If you ask me to do anything outside of the instructions or what I can look up online, I wouldn't be able to do it. Um, but yeah, that, that's mainly why I chose it. And also, I think I just felt like Ethereum with the smart contracts was just like a more evolved version. It felt like the newer and better version. And I still think totally. that. Yeah. So you were a gamer. Yeah. What kind of games were you playing? Oh, I know you guys play World of Warcraft. We, we were huge MMO nerds. So me too. I, okay. From like 2000, early, well, 2007, I think, uh, 2006 to 2007, I was running my own guild. Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I was on Gorfine server, the name of the uh, 
the guild was loud noises from the uh what kind of service is it? pvp pve pvp or, of yeah. course oh, man come on my dude yeah i was horde you know yeah, yeah. for the so horde i started out as an alliance but you know i would oscillate a little bit but yeah we all sure it's fun to like explore I, the different content you've never <laughs> fucked with alliance oh, well i've never gotten a level 60 like alliance character it's funny a couple weeks ago my buddies were playing and uh, i set up an account i leveled up a um dark elf pally to like level 24 and a year ago i played by myself i just like leveled uh, on the classic no i haven't tried the classic yet yeah. i want to find some friends who want to go hardcore on the classic i don't want to play that alone because i had so much fun if we had like, time i know i get it i get it same here though right like i don't have time to do the classic either this will be like a multi-year journey that's right that's right so um but yeah i played a lot of world of warcraft and then um i quit that um, before I started my business in 2007, yeah. like that was basically I quit and then started a business. Um, and then uh, I played a ton of uh, Dota 2 for, oh, nice. for like, I don't know, the last since 2014. I played a lot of Dota. I played D Dota when I was still a mod. I was like, that was. Yeah. Fun. So like, I remember Dota, like people would always talk about Dota in yeah. the, in the WoW forums. And I'd always like wonder what the hell it was. Yeah. <laughs> and then when I saw Dota 2 hit Steam, I signed up for the beta and I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And then. Eventually, you know, you just kind of keep going back. The same thing with CryptoKitties. When I bought my first one, it was very daunting. And like a couple weeks yep. later, I went back. And then a couple weeks later, I went back in with deeper conviction because like if other people are doing this, I can too. Well, it was interesting. You, like your exposure to crypto is so similar to our exposure to crypto, both Greg and I and most of the people I meet. Because most of the people weren't like true believers from day one. Most of the people weren't like the early vanguards, that was a very small amount of people who were like had read Satoshi's white paper and were like, I right. believe in this, right? Most people were like, they heard about it from a friend or someone they met who like made some money. And you were like, and at first you were like, that, I don't, I don't trust whatever the fuck you just told me was like, mm -hmm. like that's most people's first time reaction to crypto. Mm -hmm. And then, or, or you hear about it and then, but then the second time you hear about it, it's because like, had you aped in then, you would have like been retired. Yep. You know, or like whatever it was. Yep. And that's when you're like, oh, fuck, I need to pay attention to what's yeah. going on here. Yep. And then you get into the white paper and then you get into like the ethos of the culture and what was what's being built in the space. And then you're like, and then you become a true believer. Yeah. And then as a gamer, like I'm I've actually, as I'm sure you guys and many others are, have been really surprised by the like uh, reception of NFTs from the gaming community. Absolutely. We talk about like, it all the time. It's so that's, weird. That's why I was like, holy shit, these are amazing because I buy virtual assets and yeah. I didn't, I always like, I remember when mobile phones came out and people started playing with like virtual currency, like before Bitcoin and all that, I was like, this is dumb. I can't believe people are spending money on virtual items and virtual currency to buy those items and things like that. But then eventually I found myself in a position naturally where I was doing that because of something I cared about. Yeah. Um, and then I realized that kind of the same thing would happen with gaming and nfts maybe too we're seeing that initial reaction of this thing's dumb exactly i think it's exactly it. and it's really interesting that like and it's so common that the people we even have on this podcast that the people that like greg and Krem and i and sass like relate to come from an mmorpg background why it's so simple it's because we already understood digital scarcity fuck yeah right i mean that's actually I, i'd go and farm and then go to the marketplace and sell like yeah. that was like a big part of playing Huge. world of warcraft and i enjoyed that aspect of like going and finding rare resources selling yeah. them or making things out of it and selling that yeah I want to get us back on to, to NFTs a minute, no, no, no. and also the IP rights aspect. Yeah. Well, um, first I want to just quickly, Legos, you, you dropped this nugget there yeah. where you were like, yeah, I almost did that, but instead I bought Legos. Yeah. How big were you into Legos? Uh, in 2014, I probably spent like 
thirty or forty thousand dollars buying Holy Legos. Shit. Yeah. Are you I, buying like sets or are you? Are, yeah, I was buying okay. sets. Um, I like building them, so I was building some of the sets myself. But I was also speculating to resell them in the future. Got I actually like almost got in trouble with Lego because <laughs> of, they were like, "You're trying to resell these." And I was like, "No, I just want to like collect one and save one and give one to a friend." Um, and my understanding at the time was like, once Lego flags you, you're screwed. Um, but I talked him out of it and then he like reauthorized my account. I actually never followed through with that plan to any deep degree. I did sell probably 10000 or $15,000 worth of Legos on eBay um, to build more mining rigs in early 2018. Wow. But other than that, I still got the whole cash. I mean, what's I, your like grail Lego sets? Like, uh, oh. Um, well, I was still in the box. Like my grail is I, I actually managed to get um, about 17 of the Mars Rovers, which were only like a $30 set at the time. And I actually found them like Target randomly listed like 30 of them or something. I bought all of them. Um, and those are now like $600 a set. But the reason like the NFT, the Legos, I'm glad you brought it back up. Like Legos taught me that it's a pain in the ass to sell physical goods, to resell physical goods and to deal yep. with the eBay marketplace and all of the extra work that's involved from the storage of them to the shipping of them to customer service and management. NFTs are a streamlined version of that. Like literally you buy the NFT and then you list it on the marketplace and that's it. And you know it's authentic and they, and they yeah. do too. And yeah, you know, exactly. And exactly. Right. So like to me, I learned a lesson from the, uh, like I, I, at a certain point, my apartment in San Francisco, like the entire closet was full of Legos. Like that was one of the reasons I was like, I gotta get out of here. Like I didn't have any more room in my closet for any more Legos. Um, we we built a lot of Legos at my house still. I mean, we still buy sets. I just got my uh, my nephew the uh, Hulkbuster set for uh, nice. his birthday, um, and we help him build those things. And um, huge Lego fan still, but I'm not trying to make money off of them anymore. I'm just having fun with them. That's great. And I've got gifts for days. Like if yeah, anybody right, any yeah. kid or anybody ever comes over, I'm like, here's a Lego set. That's sick. Very cool. Yeah. Okay. Now the money question. So I think there are a lot of reasons why NFTs took off last year, but I think at the core of, or one of the cores was the intellectual property and that piece of the puzzle. Mm -hmm. Now we first got exposed to that concept through hash masks. Yep. Um, and, and the concept you're talking about here is if you own a board ape or if you owned a hash mask, you by the terms on the site, you had an exclusive license or just maybe even outright owned the the underlying IP for the NFT. And so you could use it. Yep. And, and the blockchain itself like the mediated it, the wallet mediated. It was it was a, a fairly yeah. revolutionary idea that we did not invent, but that we saw one project at the time that we were aware of. Yep. And, and, and we thought, oh, well, those aren't really like characters, so you wouldn't want to use like hash masks. You know, they're cool art, mm -hmm. but it was like you wouldn't want to like use that intellectual property really. And so it was a big inspiration for how we designed the characters, right? Yeah. Uh, with our artists. And so later I learned that hash masks was not the first person to come up with this concept. Yep. Were you the first person? I've learned in this space it's, it's like almost like uh, stepping on a landmine to claim first for anything. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I think that uh, there were probably some other really hardcore early NFT projects like that were like before punks or like okay. right after punks and before CryptoKitties came out that potentially also included some commercial rights in there. Maybe. What what I again going back to the CryptoKitties thing, we felt like we were the like the collector community felt like we were the creators of these new cats. Like we were, I, I looked at the existing kitties I had as my my 
tool, my tool, uh, paintbrush and my paint, right? And I'm intentionally trying to create something. Sometimes we don't get the same result, but I intended to create that. And so I felt very strongly that we should actually own that art and we should have ownership over that. They didn't agree, um, but they did come out with a uh, limited commercial use license. You can't use it for anything cool, but you can print mugs and t-shirts and do up to $100,000 in revenue. Okay. Um, so what I actually did was, um, and this Dapper, as much as I give them a hard time constantly, but they were very supportive also of my journey. Um, even though I didn't work for them, I was just a collector. Uh, Roam let me get on the phone with their attorney and go over the license that I had taken their license and basically chopped it up. Mm -hmm. Even though it said you can't do that, I did it and chopped it up and basically recreated it to be uh, commercial rights, like to give full commercial rights. Like if you want to use your, in this case, Avastars, but it was creating it for Avastars. But if you want to use your Avastar for representing your business, you can do that. You know, I, I only held back that, you know, if you do any evil shit, we have the right to revoke the license. Okay. Um, and the reason it's a license and not full ownership is because it's not practical. Um, like you literally can't give somebody uh, IP um, just by them owning the NFT today, the way the legal framework set up. The, yep. the most elegant way to do that is a license because the real issue would come with each subsequent transfer right. um, and transferring that IP to the new owner. Um, so that's why we did it as a license. I kind of went down that rabbit hole. I'm not a lawyer, but I, I consulted attorneys and things like that and come up with that license. But yeah, we launched Avastars then in February, two, 2020 with that license. The, it's the digital asset ownership license. If you Google it, um, and, uh, that gives full commercial rights with those restrictions in place. Um, and, uh, I just really wanted an example out there that shows like true ownership of your, cause it's, it was true yeah. ownership of your NFT was like kind of the, the term we were using at the time. Right. Um, cause I didn't feel like it was true ownership of your NFT of a crypto kitty. If you can't actually do whatever you want with it. It's interesting to hear this evolution. I mean, I really do think I, I obviously we don't know the hash mass founders and I don't yeah. know if anyone ever will, but right. if anyone ever does and they ever pop up and emerge, I would be dying to know if you inspired that. I, 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 I think it's a reasonable assumption you did. Even if I didn't directly, uh, probably indirectly, they saw it or heard it or something like that. It's possible yeah. I didn't. Um, it's possible our project didn't, but um, I feel like that part doesn't matter as much. No, 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 of course not. But because I, I, I do like to, tracing the origins of it. Sure. Though, because it's interesting because I think then by virtue of your efforts, I think it inevitably led to our efforts within, which then became so popular that it galvanized it into being a standard for the entire ecosystem. Yeah. And, and so that's the point I was driving towards is like, regardless of whether or not it was direct inspiration or not, like for me, creating Avastars was about getting ideas out there into the space so mm -hmm. that other people could pick up the pieces and continue. And it doesn't really matter if somebody saw it or not, and someone had the same idea in a similar time frame or not, because I wanted this, there was a couple things that were really important to me when I created Avastars and as a collector, and that was commercial rights and on-chain art. So like the fact that we're in a place today where we're seeing more and more commercial rights and that the most successful project in the space probably did it on the back of IP rights for holders. I yeah. believe that to be true as well. Yeah. Um, th that, um, that we are seeing more and more on-chain projects. And and you guys put your, the apes on chain as well at a certain point, I think pro, retroactively, but you guys put them on the blockchain or on Arweave. Arweave. Yeah. Arweave, yeah. I consider that on-chain. It's a yeah. blockchain. We've had this debate internally in my company for years. It's not like the most on-chain something can be, but it's on-chain forever. I mean, Arweave is set up, you know, it's going to be there longer than any of us are. Yeah. So it's on-chain. Um, and uh, seeing that people understand that and things like that, like I literally 
people told me like these things shouldn't happen and like this thing isn't good. And I believed that this was actually part of the future. And the important thing to note here too is like IP rights is just the very early expression of utility passing in an NFT. You know, this is like the easiest thing for us to map to, but th there's a lot of things that can be conveyed um, through rights in a similar way and a license in a similar way. It doesn't just have to be IP. So anything that can be licensed could potentially be licensed and have that license pass from owner to owner. And I think it can get like complete, like really complex, but like also extremely easy to execute just because it's all done via code. I mean, uh, I don't know if this is going to be a good example or not, but like an, if an NFT represented somebody's will and like, mm. you know, um, things could happen based off of that. Like, I just think that what we're seeing right now with utility of IP rights is a primitive example of what we're going to see in the next 10 years take place over this. It may be remain one of the stronger ones um, because IP is extremely valuable in the world broadly. Um, but uh, I don't think it's going to be the only major like license transfer use case for nfts yeah in the same way that like artwork is kind of the trojan horse for the technology i think like it's going to turn into so much more than just like you know jpegs pngs yep. whatever yeah. yep absolutely i mean it's incredible I, I honestly i'm i feel like you're someone who has gotten it right right out the gate and you've kind of set a vision for the space in a lot of ways i'm curious though getting back to your story Walk me through after Avastars. Yeah. Um, okay. After Avastars. So we launched Avastars, um, you know, which in you said February 2020, which that yeah. date is very significant to me too. Like a month later, we're seeing like, you know, $100 ETH and all that. Like what, what was that moment? Like? Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, you know, that was, again, you know, I'd been in a bear market of win crypto winter, really. It wasn't even a bear. It was like full on winter for like since... January 2018. We're now in February of 2020. Um, you know, uh, none of us really cared about the yeah. price of Ethereum. Like for us, cheaper Ethereum meant cheaper CryptoKitties, it meant cheaper gas because no one was using the network. When we did our estimates for uh, uploading all the artwork to Avastars in February 2020, we were using one to two gas as the estimate. And we were pissed because that day that we uploaded it all, gas was like between four and eight. <laughs> and so we ended up spending like, I don't know, it was like four and a half ETH to upload all of the artwork and metadata, all the contracts for Avastars. And that's incredibly cheap, especially even in today's standards. But at the time, we were upset because it could have actually been about four times cheaper if it, we had just hit it on the right day. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, look, I mean, I uh, I always hoped that it would be a successful project. The point of Avastars was to bootstrap um, a company to continue to explore the NFT space. Um, and I wanted to do something within the community. I wanted to express some of the ideas that I had been holding and discussing and debating as a collector for a couple of years. Um, and uh, honestly, like, uh, I think, you know, I don't remember the total amount of ETH we raised. We sold 25,000 NFTs ranging in price from 0.08 to 0.112, depending on the ones you bought. We probably made 2,000 ETH or something like that, more or less. I think today we still have like six or 700 ETH sitting in our same account. We haven't moved it. We didn't move it to stables or do anything smart with it. We just got the ETH. And at the time, that was kind of the thing you were like... You have to imagine too, like when I created Avastars, like none of these other projects that people are familiar with today existed except for really like CryptoKitties and CryptoPunks. Yeah. And so 
Avastars is very much like uh, an amalgamy of CryptoKitties and CryptoPunks. It's like a combination of the two where like CryptoKitties didn't make good PFPs, you know, uh, punks did. And like punks was just like this static collection of 10,000 images where in Avastars, you can actually like create your own Avastar from, from other Avastars. And so you, there's like a small limited breeding element that we built in. I didn't like the unlimited supply and yep. you could always do it. So we made it so there could be the exact same number of replicants as there can primes. So there can be a total of like 50, 1,400 or something like that, um, ever Avastars. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, I mean, it, it was, uh, it, and we did a lot, we did too much. Like what I love about Bored Apes, just for a second, is that you guys just came out, you did commercial, like IP rights, it's a 10,000 collection, you minted it at 08. Like it's extremely easy to understand and explain in like seconds. Um, whereas Avastar is like, I could literally peel back this onion for two hours and we could still not be through all the shit that like went into like our decision making and process and the different innovations and experiments we ran out. I'll give one because I really like this one is we did our we did I, for, for anybody unfamiliar with Avastar is it wasn't just like a go and you mint out. You actually went to the site and you scrolled until you found one that you liked. And we it was scroll scrolling was like a time mechanism you were spending your time instead of your ethereum for a result whereas with crypto kitties you spent your ethereum for a result and one way like there was going to be rarer ones throughout that scrolling and so what we did is we developed a pricing mechanism where there's five levels of rarities from common all the way up to legendary and each rarity level, we doubled the price. So it started, I think it was 0 0.07 or 0 0.08. Anyways, it went all the way up to 0 0.112, 1.12 ETH for a legendary. So you could come across a legendary and you, you would on average come across one every couple minutes or so. Mm -hmm. um, but it was the price was supposed to be a deterrent to not want to mint it. Um, but if it was really special, maybe you would be compelled to. Um, and so we used price um, to determine scarcity over time. It, the experiment was, will this like shake out to the proper like rarity levels? With the exception of our founders and exclusives that we minted, those were the first 200 Avastars. Those were mostly legendary, the highest rank. If you take those out of the collection of the naturally schooled Avastars, we actually came out with like common uncommon rare epic legendary in the right like order wow. basically right in the percentage ranges we aimed for like 60 percent common was where we were aiming cool. 15 percent. so like seeing that experiment play out successfully was really rewarding for me individually because it took a long time for us to mint out actually twenty five thousand. we lost some momentum along the way and we had some issues we had to shut down our contract for a couple months because someone found an exploit and they could potentially mint any Avastar they wanted. So we just shut it down and had another developer go back and fix it. Yeah, I was like, going to say, how do you fix that? Like, uh, You don't fully fix it. You right. obfuscate it more and hope no one finds it. Okay. <laughs> and we then, can cut this part out. No. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, it's fine. Look, I mean, we were in the early days. Like, right. you know, no, but yeah. I, it goes to what you were saying, though, that like you did too much. And it's so amazing to hear like even just that that peel of the onion. Yep. Because it really is like insane. And I've looked into the project a lot and it's, it's a lot. It's a lot more than even what you're just saying now. And yep. it's interesting, like at that stage of the market cycle, at that stage of awareness of NFTs, it was too much, right? But mm -hmm. now, if you had done the exact same thing now, having learned the lessons you would have learned over, the, over time, I think people would have actually wanted that level of intricacy, that level of involvement, that level of complexity. I remember 
there was a pro you gotta remember this one it was avogachi mm -hmm. and that was like I remember when I first saw it, I was like, this is so cool. And I'm like, but I'm way too dumb to understand this. Yeah. I'm, dude, I'm the same way. <laughs> I was like, By the way, like, so complex. I'm like and a was... hard sell. Like if it's, <laughs> if it's like at all complex, like yeah. if it was anything like Avastars, I'd be like, fuck yeah. this. You know, and what you said, like the, you can pitch board apes very easily is, you know, while there was a lot of thought that went into that, that the end result was to try and make something very digestible. Yep. Yeah. And for me, I was making it digestible for the CryptoKitties community. Totally. Yeah. Right? Like I was trying to appeal to a specific demographic that at the time represented the majority of NFT collectors. Right. Um, but it's a lot different like than it was. And um, it did teach people, you know, a lot about NFTs. And the other the other one, the other novel mechanic we created, you know, with that scrolling, um, we also set up a bounty system where someone could just spend their time scrolling and finding good avastars and yeah. then could set it up as a bounty. And then if somebody went in and bought that, uh, the price was a little bit higher. It was like 50% higher. And uh, the person who found that would then get that Ethereum to their wallet. And they could have no Ethereum and just earn Ethereum that way. So there's some people who actually got into the space by scrolling avastars for other people. They had to have a good eye because it doesn't mean it's going to get bought. Like you actually, I bought, I ended up buying a DGen into my own collection um, after getting permission from my community. But I ended up buying a lot of my avastars off of that bounty because I didn't want to spend the time scrolling. I could never find the good ones. I mean, I scrolled more than anybody. Um, but that was a fun experience. The scrolling experience was fun. A lot of people really enjoyed doing that. And, you know, scrolling through things like Twitter and anything else is addictive. Um, so, like, everybody yeah. was, like, complaining, like, with a smile on their face about being addicted to scrolling avastars. And I think, you know, we've often talked about, like, bringing back that experience just to, like, show people what it was like. Yeah. Um, yeah. What was the the founding team like, you know, for Avatars? Well, it was me, and then I had to go out and find a developer who didn't think my ideas were so crazy that they should ignore me. Um, it was me and a guy named uh, uh, Sea of Arrows on Twitter. His name's Clifford Hall. Um, really great dude. Um, it was him and I and a couple of my friends from the CryptoKitties community advising me. Um, Kai, Kaigani.eth, uh, and uh, um, Alan is a member of the Dapper team. Uh, Jordan, Nate Alex was a big help on all that one. He ended up releasing Chain Faces a few weeks before Avastars, and he was actually not going to do it because he felt bad. He's like, I don't want to do this because in the future, like, you're, I don't want to, like, front, front run Avastars and someone else to consider this the first on Chain PFP. Um, but, like, obviously it was all good. Our friend Alexo had released a thing called Math Token, like, in a couple weeks before that. So it was like, there's this like chart somewhere online where it's like 2019. It was like I've seen that chart. It's very it like cool. the on-chain NFTs. There's yeah. like a section of like four projects that was like me and my friends from from CryptoKitties that was like right in a row, and uh, that's like I saw that for the first time the other day. It was really satisfying to see because, quite frankly, like Avastars is often forgotten, overlooked, not mentioned in a lot of the stories about NFTs today, and it's understandable because we haven't. You know, we were at a time when you launched a project and you had your community in place, but we didn't have a long, long term roadmap. If it was successful, we were going to do more with it. But it wasn't like we had an intentional roadmap of any. No, I agree. Type. It doesn't get the credit it's due. And that's like why I'm really glad to talk about it here. I mean, I feel like from, from the IP perspective alone, let alone all the other things you were innovating on. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's Thank you. I so, appreciate so it. So important to the history of NFTs. You truly are the king of NFTs, I think. Well, or guy. Okay. <laughs> or, or guy. Is yeah. When did you meet Guy, by the way? Because you knew, Yeah, so you knew I, we were getting we, to that story. Yeah, sorry, you were asking, yeah, like, yeah. what happened after yeah. Avastars? Well, I've forgotten what you asked, so I'm glad we're back. Guy O'Siri, by the way, is a partner at Yuga Labs, and he's a legendary 
media mogul, as they would call it, I think maybe. I don't know if you would like that term actually, but you know, he managed <laughs> met Madonna and he's managed you too and Red Hot Chili Peppers, and you know, he's a, a very, very cool and interesting guy. Okay. I feel the exact same way. So uh I didn't know what an accelerator was, but Jamie Burke at Outlier Ventures was like begging me to join Outlier Ventures with with NFT42, which is the parent company for Avastars. We're actually going through a rename merger, but Anyways, NFT42, he wanted me to join and particularly liked that we had started doing some um, on-chain contracts for other people and thought that maybe, you know, we could make a good platform out of that. And a few weeks into that, um, I had the fortunate opportunity to meet a guy named Nick Adler. Um, Love Nick. Yeah, Nick's great. Yeah. Uh, and immediately, I'm on the phone with him. Frankie Nines introduced us. You guys know Frankie as well? We know of him. I don't yeah. think I actually met him. Frank's yeah. cool cat. Uh, Frankie introduced me to Nick. Nick's on the phone with us. He's like, I want you to meet. I thought he said Guy Fiari. And I was like, <laughs> oh, cool, a chef. Good. So he texted me after that, though, and he spelled out Guy's name and his last name. And I did a quick Google, and I was like, holy shit. Okay. So uh, 20 minutes later, I was on the phone with Guy, and uh, his energy was incredible. Um, I was, like, hypnotized, enchanted by him almost immediately. I don't know. You guys might have some. No, I know the feeling. Yeah. yeah. So we got on the phone and then like the next day guy had me on the phone with uh, more people and more people. Eventually I'm like on a Zoom with like Mark Benioff, Mark Cuban, yeah. you know, doing the Shark Tank virtually, you know, literally at some point like Mark Cuban's like Shark Tank style. And I was like, <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. yeah, I watched Shark Tank, you yeah. know, yeah. Um, closed that pretty quick. I mean, a week later, you know, uh, they'd all written me a check. And uh, so that was like March of 2021. And then a couple of weeks after that, um, Gary V reached out and wanted to do V Friends with us. So he ended up coming on as an investor at that point as well. And we did V Friends. And I didn't, I didn't actually know that you were involved in V Friends. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, we uh, we created V Friends. Well, we were the Web3 side of V Friends. Um, yeah. We He's like, what can you do in six weeks? And we're like, well, <laughs> we can do this part. And that was the smart contracts and the NFT side of things. Um, he ended up having to go out and found a great team to um, that he hired after that to run VFriends um, to do the front end web development and all that kind of stuff. Um, Frankie ended up, Frankie Nines ended up doing some of the background art and stuff based off an algorithm of the actual drawings. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, we did VFriends. That was great. And then, um, yeah, everybody and their mom reached out and wanted us to build them VFriends. And we weren't we weren't trying to be a custom development shop. We were actually trying to build a minting platform, which made us take a step back from the minting platform we were building because we realized it wasn't going to be sufficiently good for what we were trying to make. And it wasn't going to fit like we couldn't have made VFriends with that minting platform. So we kind of had to like reevaluate what we were doing. And we realized what we needed to build was probably um, some tools that made it easier to create um, these projects um, instead of just trying to create like the smart contracts for the projects. So what we ended up building over the course of the last like year and a half um, is called Stealth Test. And it's basically a private test environment, like on-demand private test environment. I and saw that. And we, so one of our engineers just spun up, like we rolled our own Yuga test net basically. And first thing I thought was like, how do we productize this? And I like looked into it and it's like, oh, okay, something like this exists already. Shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Shit, man. I wish I had gotten you guys ahead of time and told you not to build that. <laughs> but classic yuga move by the way i know it's true we, we would have built token for no i yeah. mean i love fonts but yeah <laughs> well it's cool like, tell them to take a look and see if it like does more yeah, than what no, you guys have already built totally because we'd like yeah. to like you know this is a tool for anybody in web3 it's not just smart con or it's not just uh nfts it can be any smart contracts and things like that yeah 
Um, and today we do Ethereum and Arweave and IPFS. Um, and we're going to be adding in more That's L1s sick. and things like that over time. I love that you guys are thinking about this from the perspective of platforms and giving tools. Well, when we made vFriends, we were deploying a contract like every four hours. It was fake data. It was a sample size of the data, but it was like a huge pain in the ass to do all that testing and very nerve wracking. And oh, yeah. we realized we really need a private place to do all of this testing. It's yeah. like, you know, can work with distributed teams and is easy to use, works with all of the existing tools and things, software that we use. Yeah. You can only come up with so many fake collection names. Like I know. Um, for the board <laughs> eight chemistry. Club. Yeah. It's so MAYC for like if you somebody's gonna go find this on Rinkaby, I am sure. Um the first like test version of it was hot dog boys. And uh <laughs> the serums were different condiments. <laughs> and so you were like putting condiments on your hot dog it was like really elaborate we had like artwork and shit for it, it i remember great. interrogating you like tell me what you've named these things because everyone's <laughs> going to be searching for this shit and like i don't want to get like this all leaked hot dog boys yeah hot dog boys <laughs> that's the alpha yeah jesus uh, is that have you caught us up in what you're working on now or is or you got more going on um for Nameless and NFT42, this is where we're at in the journey right now. Yeah. We have Stealth Test launched, um, and we're now, we've worked with some of our early customers to make sure that it has the feature set that they need, and we're opening it up to a wider group now. It's public. You can go sign up. Um, Sick. Yeah. One of my objectives today was to get you guys to try it. it sounds <laughs> sounds like you did yeah, that. No, I'm, I'm going to look into yeah, it. Yeah. Sure, it sounds great. Cool. Um, okay. But yeah, I mean, I've got my whole other side of me, which is, you know, a collector. I don't know how deep we want to go into any of that stuff. I, I feel like we have to no, hear I mean, from you're, your, you're, your You're kind of a, you're a legendary D-Gen, let's be honest. I'm more known for minting 420 board apes than anything else. I think that's Was true. it that many? I said the wrong number earlier. Somebody asked me, and I was like, I think it's yeah. like 200. Yeah, we, we way underestimated how many it was. 420. 420. Perfect. Yep. I mean, Pranksy, like, yeah. so what happened? You guys want to hear the story of that night? Yes, I please. would love to hear it. This, and this is the legendary story of how Bored Apes minted out. Basically. We have our own version of it, but I want to hear your side. Yeah, 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 because this is from, like, down in the trenches, yep, right? Yep. Like, And I didn't know any of you guys. I didn't right, yep. even know who founded Bored Apes. Uh, it was a guy named Evan, I think, that posted on Twitter that, like, you know, check out these Bored Apes or something, or it was either a reply or something. I saw which, it. Which Evan was it? It was Evan. It was two with, early Evans. It, it was uh, it's like just... Keist? It no, it wasn't Evan Keys. Evan Tan? It was a Tan. I think yes. Yeah. Okay. I think yes. I think he just goes by Evan. I think we made him an honorary. I think so. To my recollection. Probably. Which we didn't was... know him either, by the way. We just were like making fucking honoraries for... No, no. Yeah, we you guys like, were looking we, for traction, right? Anyone yeah. who would fucking retweet it, even yeah. if they were mocking or just it. Like, we were just like, I don't re care. reply making fun of it. Yeah. yeah right. Like Tuba. Yeah. And it was like, yes. Yeah. Like they <laughs> laughed. <laughs> yeah. But he tweeted about it and like... I looked at it and at the time I had like, I was still pretty like on chain hardcore and everything else. And I was like, this art, I was like, these look all right, but they're not on chain or something like that. Like they're just like standard IPFS, like nothing special. And then, um, 20 minutes later I had minted like five or something, I think. And I, and I remember like one of them was like a multicolored grail grill. Uh, and I was like, wow, this is really cool. Like these actually look cool. I got cool ones. And it was immediate reveal because you guys had already gone through like right. the delay and you yeah. were just immediately yeah. re yeah. revealing them. It was um, the night of the reveal. I didn't know that. Yeah. Right. But like it was a new project to me at that moment. Yeah. Right. And uh, I was like, damn, these are pretty cool. And I minted more. I had minted like 20 and I was, I think I posted back on Twitter or something to the effect of like, okay, I'll take back like whatever I just said. Like I just minted 20. Fuck it. And then I, it was Friday night and I posted it in um, two of my groups that I'm in in Discord. Um, 
like the collectors I know from CryptoKitties and then like some other collectors that I had met along the way. And uh, Pranksy was up because he's in the UK. So it was like early morning for him. And he started minting some. And then some of the Gremlins guys started minting some like Ding-A-Ling and stuff who still holds like more than me. Um, and uh, I saw what Pranksy was doing. And I originally was going to go for 100. I, what I really, what I did is I scrolled through. I saw there was gold fur. And I was like, holy shit, I want one of these gold fur ones. I'm just going to go until I get one. And uh, I did. I got one probably somewhere in like first 150. And then Pranksy like went from like minting like three or 400 to like, he was like going ham. He did like 1,200. Well, because somebody called him out, right? That's what I remember. I forget who it was, but somebody like, um, yeah, called him out for minting a bunch or something like that. And he was just like, all right, fuck you. I'm going triple like what I did. <laughs> that does not surprise me at all to hear. Yes, that probably exactly how it went down. Um, but I was in my own inside joke that I always gave to Pranksy in the CryptoKitties community was always half a pranked. Like if he had a thousand of something, I had 500. If, you know, it yeah. was, I was always half a pranked. So when he was doing 1250, I was like, shit, I, I got to at least try to be half of a pranked here. Um, and honestly, I didn't, I wasn't able to, he went so fast and so heavy, but by the time I was done, I had like basically, I was, I hit 420. I looked at how many were left on the contract. I was like, my next transaction is probably not going through. So I just left it there. But yeah, it was a couple hours later. Like it was like probably like a three or something hour period that went past. And then uh, I do remember when it was all done and it minted out, I did send the Board Apes Yacht Club Twitter like a smiley face. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah like, we were, we were so, staring okay, at it. So our version is we kind of knew it was going to sell out before you, I think you, you and Pranksy came in. But it was like when you guys came in, it was like it was going to happen now. And then and then and it was also I think what you guys, you guys didn't realize is that we were there a little earlier. Really? In the, well, like a little earlier that day, because I remember I think my mints, my first mints were in the hundreds. Interesting. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, that's right. That's right. You were, you you tested the waters with like 20. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And I think that was probably a- And a, then a I posted, because I post, after I did the 20, I posted them to those two groups and then everybody else started buying them. And then I went back in. I, I spent 27 and a half ETH on those 420, if I remember correctly. Wow. wow. Our impression of you and Pranksy back then was very, uh, it's funny in retrospect, but we were like, oh, the NFT Illuminati just got in here. You yeah. Know, like you guys were like- if, if you guys touched a project, it was like being anointed. Yeah. And un I mean, unfortunately, like I think Bored Apes gave like even an out, like a more like outward expression of that idea to a lot of other people as well for a time. I mean, everybody was like, if we can just get Jimmy and Pranksy to endorse it. It'll do well. And I was like, that's, right. I was like, Apes was special. Like just endorsing yeah. it, it's like not the same thing as like it actually having like that, all of the characteristics. In fact, that, that ended up burning people later. I remember like there was projects that like people, like if, Prank if Pranksy likes something a little like, you know, even five months later, if he aped into something, it didn't actually necessarily mean it was going to mint out yep. um, or do well. Yep. And people, a lot of people got burned trying to chase that. And yep. it's just like, no, no, no. Like I, my impression of Pranksy and you has always maintained, I've always maintained a sort of, my view is that you guys just ape into shit you genuinely like. Yeah, though, I mean, I ended up giving out a lot of those bored apes. And the reason I did it was yeah. because I actually just felt like I, this was a perfect opportunity to spread like a cool project that yeah. I think a lot of people would like. Um, yeah. I didn't realize like the impacts that that would even have like right. later down the road. But um, yeah, I mean, really like all of my core friends, um, we all have like this baseline set of morals and ethics that we follow that we wouldn't necessarily have to, but we kind of all hold each other accountable as well. Because yeah. if one of our peers tells us that what we're doing looks scammy or isn't in good taste or anything like, you know, Pranksy, um, I don't want to speak for him, but 
I very much believe he realizes like the position he has in the space and the responsibility that sure. that comes with. And we uh, feel similarly at this point. I mean, I know I can and, tell. And we, and we did uh, even at relatively soon after our success, we 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 started to feel that the weight of responsibility. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I remember you and I were talking about like you know what's okay to change and what's not. Like, and you guys have. I mean, I even talked to you guys about the license. Like, you guys know you have a typo in your license, and you're like, we can't change it. It's like, that's the license. I respect the shit out of that. I mean, yeah. I still think you could fix the typo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's, uh, we've, uh, yeah, we respect the hell out of you, you know, and we, we looked up to you. We're very intimidated by you at first. Um, it's, it's interesting. Sorry to hear that. No, it's, I, it's just because of the, this, like, the position you held in the space, yeah, you know? Yeah. Again, you were, you were, you know, more so than, more so than in the, the king of NFTs, you were a king maker, it seemed like. You know, and that and that and that carries, I'm sure, a huge burden of of responsibility and yeah. weight. I mean, I don't know, like, if you guys have followed like projects and things I've involved myself with since, but I, I have like tried to help some other projects come along, yeah. advisor, you know, investors, that sort of thing. But I've been very selective about what I do do in the space as far as like who I help and everything else because one, like, time commitment, obviously, but two, I want to make sure that anything I attach my name to. Um, has the correct like air of uh, um, um, legitimacy to it, and yeah. that uh, I would feel good about no matter what, even if it you know the prices and floor prices aside, like I would feel good about telling people like this is why I believe in this project, this is what I'm involved with. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean that's kind of the position I've taken in the spaces we've evolved too. Like I'm a collector, I have IP ownership, um, I own my own business in the space, it's just still building. But I've also tried to help other brands and um, companies understand how to enter the space yeah. and how to do it in authentic way. And you've been a really good advocate for the space, I got to say. So, you know, you've been on the right side of history, mm -hmm. but more, even more recently, we are very much aligned on creator royalties. Yeah. Which has been the... It's the magic. That's the magic. I, I have some thoughts on this too, like how we got to here, yeah. like even how we got to creator royalties. As this issue became uh, bubbled up over the last couple of months, I thought about it and... You know, CryptoKitties and CryptoPunks had their own marketplaces. Right. And OpenSea was very brave, actually. I remember they came into the CryptoKitties Discord and were like, hey, we've got this marketplace. Like, uh, we charge like a 2.5% fee. Um, and, you know, you can list your NFTs there. And I was a moderator um, for the CryptoKitties Discord. And I'm mm -hmm. like, why the, I was basically like, why the hell would we need to go there? We have right, our own marketplace. Right. Like, it's pound sand. Right. Right. And, um, so OpenSea obviously like needed to get users over to the platform. And like, I think they recognized that there was these existing marketplaces that the CryptoKitties would charge on a marketplace fee. Uh, CryptoPunks, I don't think was, but they had their own marketplace regardless. Um, and they wanted to get users off of those marketplaces onto a bigger marketplace, um, which ended up having a huge impact because that's what allowed also like NFTs to take off as one place you can go look and collect things, right? Yeah, the which, discovery aspect of Yeah, discovery, yeah. exactly. Um, but they had to get projects incentivized to come over and use their platform because why wouldn't you just build your own marketplace and keep the marketplace fees for yourself and cut sure. like that out? So they had to invent a mechanism to incentivize collections as well. And that ended up being royalties, right? Like I'm pretty sure like that's why royalties existed because OpenSea needed to solve a problem of getting collections onto their platform and like getting collections to support their platform. Um, so we started out with basically royalties that way. And then through time, believe it or not, these debates that we've had this year, we had a few years ago as well. Um, creator royalties have, uh, creators have had to fight very hard for their royalties. Um, and um, at a certain point, 
the debate was had as to whether or not we had to have fully on-chain enforceable royalties. There was actually a standard somebody created. Mm -hmm. I don't remember the name of the company, but I just shit all over it like yeah. very publicly and said we don't want this um, because I have several wallets. I like to be able to transfer NFTs. No, the ability to freely transfer was at yeah. the, uh, like the yeah. very important. We, and the, and the standard that. they came out with, they that the, that company broke broke yeah. that model, and I felt felt like that was really bad. But what happened in the meantime was you had like Manifold and some other companies working on an open standard that's like an on chain registry that says this is how much the uh, royalty fee is for this collection, and mm -hmm. any marketplace can go look at that and then just plug it in, right? Pretty elegant solution, simple. Um, it works. It only the only requirement is that marketplaces follow that. That's the zero. So, so that brings yeah. us back to right. the, our thought piece that we put and, out a few weeks ago. But, but also, I think it's interesting that you take. So we've been talking to. I mean, I've been talking to creators nonstop. Like yeah. I've been on like five calls this week with other pro other projects, other teams. Um, the conversation when we try to like assess how we got to where we are now always starts with pseudoswap. Mm -hmm. it never goes all the way back to OpenSea way back in the day. And it's so obvious now, like a large part of the conversation we've been having is like what we're doing is really just trying to like arm creators because we essentially have nothing in our toolkit right now to be able to do this. Right. And it's because like at its inception, it was like from the beginning, it was a thing that marketplaces sort of gave to us, not something that creators had at their disposal. So it's like, I think that's like a large part of like how I've been thinking about this is, is like, how I think we've all been thinking about it is like there's kind of three main constituencies here. There's marketplaces, creators, collectors. Mm -hmm. Collectors, marketplaces have a lot of power right now. Marketplaces you know I mean? will bow down. To no, that's right, that's right. Yeah. And, and, and this was like the very I called you a few weeks ago. Yeah. Before I put out that article that we that yeah. written and passed the idea along and see if you'd liked it and you did. Yep. And I called that same night. I called Bobby and I talked to Betty for the first time over at mm -hmm. Dead Bills. Mm -hmm. um, and she's been a huge advocate. Huge advocate. Like she was like like on the front lines of this, right? Yeah. And and we had been silent because we were writing this out. We wanted to really have the idea fully formed. And I'm not. You guys got to be careful too because they're gonna be like, did you guys already get enough money? You know. Yeah, but it's like, look, like you're fighting for everybody. This though, literally right? protects everyone. The, like this, right. this is what enables like the next like Joe Schmo to come in. Yes, and enter I the. I can't space. tell you how many artists and creators and brands I've been able to. Right. Uh, this like, is like move the needle. It's, it's good for us, board. and it's good for the little guy, right? Yeah. Like this is like integral. It's the part that makes it all work. It's what makes this work. I agree, and yeah. so we're very aligned, and so are all the other creators I've spoken with, and um. I, it's 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 kind of a beautiful thing because the more I think about it, the more I realize that what's happening is we're basically unionizing. Yeah, right. It's fucking cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah and it's it's cool too because um, some of the marketplaces are starting to get the message. Oh no, and it's like it, it's just inevitable now. Like like the the logic plays out, you know. And, and yeah. the irony of that is is that not every project's even going to have to do it if just the right ones do it. Right, right. Because you have to respect it. Yep. That's right. That's know? right. The other thing is though is what we do need to do here is really just like get projects aware of that registry, get them using that registry so that we do have an on-chain way to reference it. The other part I want to point out here is that this whole argument about since it's not forced on-chain, mm -hmm. um, it's a red herring. It's an excuse for traders not to like pay a royalty. That's right. It's an excuse for marketplaces not to build the royalty. Yep. And the reason, look, fuck scoots, fuck pseudoswap, but... The reason they didn't build in royalties is because it was like extra programming steps and they probably, I'm sure that registry isn't like fully up to date and they probably couldn't just reliably use that registry for every project that existed. So they were probably like, well, since it doesn't work for everything, we're just not going to include it in anything, mm -hmm. right? So we're not going to do this. And they have their own pool system and all that. But 
I'll argue that that's like a horrible way to do it as well because it's a centralized, it's, it might be on a decentralized network, but it's a centralized solution in that every time like a similar marketplace spins up, the creator would be required to go and spin up a similar pool on that marketplace, eventually requiring an enormous amount of capital or like resources to do. And it just doesn't scale. Um, it's not a good solution. Uh, PseudoSwap just basically saw an opportunity to come into the market and be a bad actor and take advantage of what is and isn't on chain and strictly enforced on chain. Yeah. And that started the whole trend because like some other marketplaces got the bright idea like, oh, I can get market share by just removing royalties. Um, so, yeah, I hope that uh, we continue to see more pushback, not only from the smart contract, allow list standards, uh, allow list standards and things like that. But, um, you know, yeah, whatever we call the standard, I think it's going to be viewed as the gold standard. Yeah. Right. And that's like. I think it's a beautiful analogy, right? Because it's technically an ERC standard and it's also literally the gold standard because we, there's some nuance that's kind of developed over time as we've started like, like actually implementing mm -hmm. it and talking mm -hmm. to more teams and stuff. Mm -hmm. Like one thing that keeps coming up is the fact that different types of projects have really different needs too when mm -hmm. it comes to royalties. Um, and so we're actually looking at like allow list is kind of the core, but making it something that you can flip on and off. Also having a deny list if you want to be particularly punitive and very sort of like mm -hmm. pre precise in the way that sure. you target mm -hmm. a particular actor, having that be switchable and then having these be things that are mm. controlled by creators, but then also you can reference uh, some kind of governed Yes, list, and that was right? like, so, eventually yeah. that's what you need. You exactly. need someone else like out there, like basically, and if you want to, it's like this, the ad blockers and things. If you want to plug in a list right. of like specific ads to block and like you could block, yep. you know, marketplaces that don't support royalties or marketplaces that limit, you know, you can, exactly. there's all kinds of nuance. Yeah. Like you're and look, yeah. as we said in the article, right, it's like, this is a, this is a governance issue. Yeah. I mean, the royalties part is, um, you know, it, it. Just to reiterate, it is the magic. It's the X factor. It's the yeah. reason it works. You guys could have never sold Board Apes at 0.080 and made the business that you've created yeah. if you didn't have the royalties built in. I could have never had the entry point that I had, and I couldn't. And then someone like Pranked could have never sold 1,250 of them for one ETH each. It's just like everything at its core came back to this. Yeah, and it's interesting that like marketplaces both created the solution and the problem it's very funny you know yeah but, i know i know it's like the genesis of the of where royalties came from and the genesis of where people are trying to remove royalties yeah. i i think in addition to the code though um i would like to see and i'm not an attorney but i think this has some merit i have spoken to some attorneys i'd like to see some terms um in projects the new projects that come out that uh require marketplaces to respect royalties in order to list on their marketplace. I dig it. I think, why not? I mean, it's like, we're hey, we're trying to enforce the uh, the IP yeah. on chain. Why not do this? Yeah. 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 I mean, there needs to be also like, you know, legal terms sometimes scare people more than like, well, what is it? What, how, how does it work on the smart yeah. contract? Like, oh, well, it doesn't really matter because it says right here, like, if we don't uh, like pay the creator royalty and we list it on our marketplace, then we're going to be liable for those yeah. fees. Look, anyway. the DGen marketplaces won't give give a shit, but places like OpenSea probably will. Yeah, and they'll just be like, "This isn't worth the risk." And the places that give a shit are going to be the places that end up making it. Like, right. there's always going to be like the right. pirate bays of sure, of course, like of NFT course. marketplaces, right? Like, that's what these places that aren't create are respecting royalty. Right, there's like right a now. ton of like marketplaces that are anonymous and that just like you don't yeah. know if they're going to be good actors in the space or not. Sure, they protect. should both be there, right? Yeah. You know, um, I mean, hopefully one day like the whole IP transfer and licensing stuff will be strictly on chain but today that exists as a terms of service that's right right yeah, so right. you know royalties sh should create a royalty should be enforced like in a similar way both from collectors standpoint and the marketplace those are the two people that we yeah. need to respect them i think again this is like one of those things where it's like by virtue of this conversation we're going to see an NFT product hopefully very soon just with exactly what you're yeah saying. i've been encouraging it lately this is probably the bigger platform to do it though yeah, yeah.
Yeah. So very cool. Yep. All right. Biggest question, getting into the metaverse, getting into the future, getting into whatever it is you're getting up to in the, down the road. Where's the space going, man? Where are we heading? Um, take me to the other side. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'm serious. No, like, yeah. There's a couple of projects coming out. I'm excited about, um, some I'm loose involvement with some that I don't, but, uh, a lot of my hopes and dreams are actually tied to the other side. Um, I have, I think 140 or so other deeds somewhere in that range had like mixed RNG on the codas. I only got like 16 or 17 of those, but, um, <laughs> that's a fuckload of codas, man. I know, it's I know, I know. Um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. Like, you know, we talked a lot earlier about gaming and, yeah. you know, I can tell you guys came alive and we're excited when you're talking about that stuff. And yeah. for me, it's the same way. I've always been waiting for the next world of Warcraft type experience, that same magic that I felt. I am very understanding that like collectors get carried away with their imagination and every little like minutia and detail. So it's very easy to like, think it's going to be something or hear what somebody else think it's going to be. You know, you guys are the ones who really know what you're making. Um, but I'm really excited to learn what that is. And, and the, I got to tell you guys, like the story I tell when people ask about metaverses is I talk about, you know, the first trip, you know, um, yeah. year, years ago, like, you know, Google and others started to build like uh, cloud gaming platforms yep. and that opens up the ability for what we see where thousands of people can be in the same place at the same time. And the, you know, the image is basically streamed to your device, um, which means anybody can play any game in the world using these services if they have a good enough internet. I had never seen, because the promise, like even when they launched Stadia, which is now closed down, the promise was tens of thousands of people in the same place at the same time. And like, I'm picturing these huge battlegrounds and how freaking cool would that be? Never saw it. First time I saw it was when I got into the other side play test in like June or July or whenever it was. Yeah. And literally like it worked perfectly. Like it did. The people around me, I could see, I could hear, I could interact with, I could see what they were doing. The big coda, which I sounded a lot like you, but you know. It wasn't me. Everyone I know it wasn't. I know it wasn't, but it sounded everyone, a lot like Everyone you. thought I was courtesy. Yeah, actually. and they, and they thought I was the coda. Yeah, and, like, yeah. I just hope that like, all of the like elements you guys have built in there like have significant meaning. Like I hope the set of years have significant meaning. I hope the artifacts. Well, look, hope, it's a balancing like, act, right? Because it's like on one hand we're building a metaverse, yeah, and on another hand we're building a collection, yeah. And it's like where are those intertwine. I'm excited. I'm really excited about all of it. Like when I look at it, like it's really easy to like try to peel back the onion and like imagine yeah. what it might look like. Um, and I think what people aren't expecting is that there's like going to be multiple components to this. There's like the persistent metaverse world experience. And then there's going to be other things like browser based things and games. And you know, there's like all kinds of things we can do with this property that we're very passionate about because it becomes like this vehicle, much like BAYC was a vehicle for our creativity to really like go like with BAYC, like we can go pretty wild with our creativity. Yeah. But with other side, it's like literally we can do anything, you know, it's like any kind of world environment we want to imagine or create, we can do there. Um, so we're very excited. It's, it's honestly like the, the opportunity of a lifetime for us is just like pure creative dudes. You know, it's, it's, it's a, it's and a none nice of it would exist without creator royalties. That's right. That's right. That's right. So, uh, I got to ask, um, how did you guys come up with the trial of Jimmy the ape? He's a monkey, by the way. He's a, he's Jimmy a, the monkey. Yeah, sorry. Jimmy the monkey. Yeah. The monkey. Yeah. Um, it's not a trial in the way people think it's a trial. Okay, cool. Yeah. Is that okay to say? Yeah. Okay. You yeah. said it now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah no, I mean, we, people we, always joke, you know, about me. 
Oh. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, oh. That's why I was like, I mean, I didn't think it was about me. No, no. Never, but other people have been like, you know, what is no. what is this? No, yeah. nothing to do with you whatsoever. Good. So this is your last <laughs> podcast, by the way. We're going to take you out. <laughs> this is the trial right yeah, after yeah, this. Yeah. You've been sentenced. No, no, Shit. No, no. That was a funny name. I like that it's named, you know, Trial of Jimmy, Jimmy the Monkey. He's so. he, honestly, so like in the early versions of like the um, the website, like there was Jimmy, the, on the very first site, there was a character, Jimmy the Monkey, same character, who stole like a ledger. It Like Jimmy is kind of like the antagonist. He's like, you know, it's like, oh, you got this cool club for apes. And then there's just like this dickhead Jimmy. Yeah, just, like, yeah, like, yeah. Like stealing Fucker shit. And, and, you know, just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah but no, not a reference to you. I, All right, sure. cool. I like it though. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a long time in the work. It works and uh, yeah. But really like when I think of it, because you asked like what are the metaverse and I know I like went right into other deed, yeah. but the metaverse is basically to me the, is the next version of the internet. It's like the inclusion of yeah. VR, AR, blockchain, um, a few other technologies as well. Um, AI, um, yeah. shit like that. Um, but, you know, that given that, you know, the Internet today, you go from website to website to experience to experience. I feel like the metaverse very much should look and feel the same way. You know, it's a part of the fabric of the Internet. Basically, it's the new fabric of the Internet, maybe. Um, and I think, you know, blockchain is kind of at the center of it all in my mind because of the ownership of the assets yeah, and the and decentralization, decentralization, yeah. trustless nature of it all. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's. <laughs> It is. It's literally like the next internet. Like that's how yeah, I'm it's like Web four or something. I, I'm sure someone will coin that at some point. Yeah, you know? I mean, we already got Web five. I don't know. I don't <laughs> want to go. To, yeah, yeah. But you know, we've said this like a, a thousand times. But like, if the focus isn't making this thing fun, this was like all for nothing. Yeah, I think that's important too. I mean, and I think the opportunities here. Where there's so many creative people that are flocking towards this space as well, and like stories and narrative and all that stuff matters yeah. a lot. You know, that's why trials, I mean, trial of Jimmy the monkey, like it's a story, it's a narrative. Yeah. I'm interested because I want to know what happens, yeah. you know? Um, I think the same is true inside of these experiences. I hope there's some really cool stories and narratives and things like that going on in other deed and yeah. conflict. You know, yeah, there has no, to be you, conflict. You know it. Yeah. You know, absolutely. you have to have like problems to solve and, yeah. you know, all well, that. This is our background, right? This is like why we got into the space yeah. the, at all is because yeah. we were writers. That's this, so cool. Is, As a collector and someone who's collected quite a bit of IP rights nfts um i'm starting to think that way myself about like how do i create stories and worlds yeah. and characters out of my nfts and i hope that the other side provides a place where i can bring that to life yeah so we do too yeah not just with not just with apes and right and that's stuff either idea. right exactly. like, yeah you know it's for everybody like, yeah. yeah and uh so that's where i'm like my imagination is hedging towards there and kind of biding my time and waiting for the right opportunity. Cause it's just like, I can't find good screens for all my artwork yet either. Right. Like there's problems I'm waiting for solutions to come out before I like move to the next phase. Yeah. Um, but that's definitely the thesis I'm really interested in exploring as a collector um, over the next few years. Well, Jimmy, I mean, you know, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, man. This has honestly been a delight for us. You're fucking just a true OG and a, and a great guy. Don't call and me OG. Come on. You are. You're an OG. It's Don't like, call me OG. Don't call me an influencer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Just king, the king of just NFTs. Just the king of king NFTs. Of NFTs. Just the king. That's you and, right. You and Guy Osiri. That's right. We'll share the title. <laughs> thank you for coming on the fucking Metaverse, man. Guys, uh, thank you so much for having me on. Um, you know, I know you guys had the opportunity to say, like, that, you know, you guys followed my journey and everything else. But, you know, I've... I'm known because I minted Bored Apes. I mean, I wish it was for other reasons and maybe the result of this podcast, maybe a little bit more. I can't express enough gratitude to tell you like how much I appreciate that and that you guys have been 
good shepherds for the space. Um, you know, my friends and I are very protective over the space because we've been here for a long time. Yeah. And it sometimes comes across as like the grumpy old men or whatever, but we care. Um, we care too much. And it's good to know that um, the space is in good hands with you guys. And I truly mean that. So thank you so much. Thank you, man. Thanks, man. Yes. We appreciate that. Yep. Don't tune out just yet. Producer Fallon here to remind you that this, this is Web3. Web Do your own research and make your own decisions. This podcast is not legal, financial, tax, or accounting advice, or an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy any financial product, currency, or security. The views expressed are opinions of the individual participants and are not any type of guarantee, representation, or warranty of any kind. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week. Or whenever we feel like it. Welcome to the fucking metaverse.